Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, April 12th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Melissa Topsher. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Myanmar's military is accused of killing 100 people in an airstrike. The Philippines and the U.S. launched their largest ever joint military drills. Leaked U.S. documents suggest Egypt secretly planned to supply rockets to Russia. Key lawmakers get access to classified documents found at Trump, Biden, and Pence's homes. The DNC says the 2024 Democratic National Convention will be held in Chicago. British and Australian lawmakers call on the U.S. to drop its prosecution of Julian Assange. The mother of a six-year-old who shot their teacher is indicted. Chinese tech giant Alibaba announces plans for a chat GPT rival. The Biden administration weighs possible rules for AI tools. And Britain names its first female intelligence, cyber and security agency boss. Our first story brings us to Myanmar, where a military airstrike kills at least 100. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The New York Times, The Washington Post, Independent and BBC News. According to the shadow government of the ousted National Unity Government, or NUG, over 100 people, including at least 30 children, were killed when Myanmar's military junta bombed a large gathering in rebel-held territory in the northwestern Sagaing region on Tuesday. An anonymous leader of the People's Defense Force, or PDF, a self-proclaimed rebel army, reported that a fighter jet dropped bombs and an Mi-35 helicopter opened fire on the crowd as they celebrated the opening of a new PDF office in Kanbalu's Paziji village. According to Kanbalu's elected representative Nay Zinlat, more than 800 people were in attendance during the attack which reportedly lasted about 15 minutes. Speaking on Myawadi TV, the military junta's television network, spokesman Major General Za Min Tun confirmed that the army was behind an airstrike on the village, but claimed that it was targeting rebel forces in the area. Tuesday's attack is among the deadliest in a string of airstrikes since Air Force jets dropped three bombs on a concert last October, which killed at least 50 civilians in Kachin state. Myanmar has been mired in political violence since military leader Min Aung Hlaing seized power by unseating the administration led by Nobel laureate Aung San Suu Kyi in a 2021 coup. More than 3,000 are estimated to have been killed and over 17,000 arrested during military crackdowns in the past two years. Thank you, Melissa, for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from The Guardian. The latest aerial massacre by Myanmar's illegal and illegitimate military rule constitutes a war crime. Until the international community supports the pro-democracy shadow government and provides humanitarian assistance to regions engulfed in the conflict, Myanmar's armed forces will continue to step up its aerial offensive to indiscriminately kill civilians, violently suppress resistance to its takeover, and deter a peaceful and democratic transition. And Narrative B comes from the Bangkok Post. While the loss of life is tragic, due to its commitment to restoring perpetual peace and stability in Myanmar, the junta has no option other than to use lethal force to fight armed insurgents and terrorists trying to destabilize and devastate the country and seize power. 
anti-junta armed groups are responsible for at least 5,000 deaths since 2021, which is why accusing Myanmar's military of committing war crimes is unacceptable. The Philippines and the U.S. launched its largest ever joint military drills. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nikkei Asia, Financial Times, Al Jazeera, Bangkok Post, France 24, and the Japan Times. The U.S. and the Philippines on Tuesday kicked off their biggest ever joint military exercises amid the rising rivalry between Washington and Beijing in the disputed South China Sea. With about 12,000 U.S. troops, 5,400 members of the Armed Forces of the Philippines, or the AFP, and more than 100 Australian forces, the number of soldiers involved in the annual drills, dubbed Balikatan, or shoulder-to-shoulder, has doubled from previous years, the Financial Times has reported. The drills, which are scheduled to run through April 28th and include a live-fire exercise in the South China Sea, which Beijing claims almost entirely, present a unique opportunity to demonstrate the, quote, strength and readiness of the Philippines-U.S. Security Alliance, the U.S. military stated. The first Balikatan drills under Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr., who sought to revamp ties with Washington, follows a three-day military exercise by China simulating targeted strikes and blockade of Taiwan, which Beijing claims as part of its territory. Last week, the Philippines announced the sites of four new military bases to be used by U.S. forces under the 2014 Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement, or the EDCA. The deal, criticized by Beijing as part of Washington's push to, quote, encircle and contain China, expands U.S. access to nine Philippine bases. Ahead of the joint military exercises, Marcos on Monday addressed China's EDCA concerns, saying the pact is aimed at bolstering the Philippines' defensive capabilities and that his administration will not allow the military bases to be used for any offensive moves. All right, thanks for that rundown, Adam. We have an anti-China narrative from The Wire China. The largest U.S.-Philippine military drills to date and the agreement to grant the U.S. military access to four new military bases are the direct results of the Chinese regime's hegemonic posture. Beijing's increasingly assertive behavior has led to the Philippines gradually emerging as a major hub of military cooperation among Southeast Asian democracies. That Washington benefits strategically from this trend while tensions continue to rise is China's own doing. And here's the pro-China narrative from the China Daily. The U.S. is deliberately fomenting regional turmoil and division, and by making itself a tool for Washington's strategic interests in the South China Sea and the wider Indo-Pacific region, the Philippines is jeopardizing its own interests. Instead of holding ever larger military exercises with the U.S. and giving them access to more military bases, Manila should turn to its Southeast Asian neighbors and work with China and fellow ASEAN countries on stability and security in the region. Metaculous Prediction Communities is giving us a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's an 18% chance that China and the U.S. will be at war before 2035. Different things come across differently in different languages. I say score one for the Philippines language 
We have shoulder to shoulder, which sounds like a dandruff shampoo, and they have Bali Kaitan. That's that's way better. <laughs> that sounds like something you scream at someone while you're rushing them with a machete. I think it's a word for all seasons. You could whisper that to your lover. You could you could threaten someone with it. You know, you oh, can you, direct traffic. It's anything. The, I love it. I think that depends on what you're doing in the bedroom, Scott. Scott, give Scott, give me your sexiest Bali Kaitan. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Bali Kaitan. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Wait. Yeah, back up. Look out. Look out. If you're driving, ladies, pull over. In our next story, leaked U.S. documents suggest Egypt secretly planned to supply rockets to Russia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Washington Post, Institute for the Study of War, MSN, and Associated Press. Egypt, a key U.S. ally in the Middle East, sought to supply Russia with 40,000 rockets in addition to artillery shells and gunpowder, according to a leaked U.S. intelligence document acquired by the Washington Post this week. The top-secret document, dated February 17th, summarizes conversations said to have taken place between Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi and senior military officials. Sisi reportedly instructed the production and shipment of the rockets to be kept secret to avoid problems with the West. Egypt has denied the plans, and a U.S. government official said they don't have any information to suggest the plan was carried through. As reporting on the trove of leaked Pentagon documents continued, a further intelligence document, also marked top secret, cast doubt on Ukraine's ability to conduct a successful counteroffensive this spring. It said Ukraine's challenges in massing troops, ammunition, and equipment could cause its military to fall well short of intended aims adding it would likely only achieve modest territorial gains. It comes as the Institute for the Study of War, a U.S. military think tank, reported in its latest assessment that Russia has continued to make advances in the Donetsk city of Bakhmut, but likely continues to suffer significant casualties. On Monday, Denis Pushilin, head of the pro-Russia Donetsk People's Republic, claimed that pro-Russia forces control 75% of Bakhmut. Elsewhere, In one of the rare areas of cooperation between Russia and Ukraine, more than 200 soldiers were freed following a prisoner swap on Monday. Russian officials said 106 of its soldiers were returned, while Ukrainian officials said 100 of its troops were exchanged. All right, thanks, Eric. We have a narrative A from The Washington Post. If the reports are accurate, Egypt's plans to supply Russia with rockets are a massive betrayal to the U.S., which provides the country with upwards of $1 billion in security aid every year. America will have to rethink its relationship with the Middle Eastern country in the wake of this revelation. Here's Narrative B from Ahram Online. These reports are false. From the beginning of the conflict, Egypt has been committed to non-involvement and maintaining equal distance to both sides. While affirming the principles of international law and the U.N. Charter, in addition to any resolutions passed by the body. And the Nerds of Metaculous have an opinion on this story. They say there's a 20% chance that there will be a bilateral ceasefire or peace agreement in the Russo-Ukraine conflict before 2024. The Congressional Gang of Eight access docs from Trump, Biden, and Pence homes. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS News, The New York Post, The Hill, Washington Examiner, and CNN. The U.S. Biden administration has granted the so-called Gang of Eight 
the chairs and ranking members of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, and the four leaders of the House and Senate, access to the classified documents found at the homes of President Joe Biden, former President Donald Trump, and former Vice President Mike Pence. This comes after repeated requests from Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Mark Warner, Democrat of Virginia, and Vice Chairman Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, with Warner lambasting Biden for not disclosing the contents of the documents last month. This sentiment has been echoed along party lines with both Democrats and Republicans for months, having accused the Department of Justice of disregarding Congress's oversight authority, with several senators allegedly threatening to withhold DOJ funding. Over 300 classified documents at Trump's home led special counsel Jack Smith to probe whether he violated the Espionage Act or obstruction of justice laws. Along with Smith, Attorney General Merrick Garland has also appointed special counsel Robert Hur to investigate whether President Biden violated the Presidential Records Act or compromised national security. The Gang of Eight reportedly began reviewing the documents in tranches last week. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. The Democratic narrative is our first spin, and it's coming from Washington Post. While the DOJ may have been able to grant access earlier, Senator Warner has already confirmed that the department was willing to share as much information as it could months ago. This move by the Biden administration shows that, unlike his predecessor, the president and his attorney general believe in executive branch transparency and respect for congressional oversight. And a Republican narrative provided by Town Hall. While a welcomed move, this hardly attests to Biden's transparency. The more likely reason behind this sudden U-turn is that it could be an attempt to distract from new revelations regarding how the Mar-a-Lago raid was conducted. According to America First Legal, the Biden administration made a, quote, special access request to the DOJ to send FBI agents storming into Trump's estate, suggesting it was and still is a politically motivated witch hunt. So we can't call ourselves the Gang of Four. What, what should we call ourselves? The Beatles. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Like, that's, that's a good catchy. one. That's catchy. Yeah. The, fab, yeah. the Fab Four. Well, that'll be the backup. Yeah. Chicago will host the 2024 Democratic National Convention. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, CNN, The Chicago Sun, Fox News, NBC, and Al Jazeera. The Democratic National Committee, or DNC, announced that the 2024 Democratic National Convention will be held in Chicago, winning its competition with Atlanta and New York to host the marquee political event. The convention will be held from August 19 through 22, 2024, in the Democratic stronghold that neighbors two crucial Rust Belt states, Wisconsin and Michigan. The Republican National Convention will be held a month earlier in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The convention is expected to draw between 5,000 and 7,000 delegates and alternates and attract up to 50,000 visitors to Chicago. Evening events will be at the United Center with daytime business to be conducted at the McCormick Place Convention Center. Newly elected mayor-elect Brandon Johnson pitched the idea of President Joe Biden holding the convention in Chicago, which last hosted in 1996. The city also held the infamous 1968 convention, which witnessed a clash between the police and Vietnam War protesters. President Biden called Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker to tell him about Chicago's selection Tuesday morning before leaving for Ireland. 
Biden says the city is a great choice to host the convention in which Democrats will showcase their historic progress on issues including the economy. The president also indicated that he intends to seek re-election, telling NBC at a White House Easter event that he plans on running now, but he's not prepared to announce it yet. Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a Democratic narrative coming from Chicago Tribune. The DNC made the right choice returning the party's national convention to Chicago. The city offers everything you could ask for when deciding to hold a major political event with an extensive collection of hotels and conference venues. But most importantly, the city is located in the heart of the all-important Midwest and is a stronghold for the Democratic Party. The city's strong unions and diversity make it an even more appealing location, and the convention will be a great success. And Breitbart's going to finish us with a Republican narrative. Instead of holding its convention in the heart of the civil rights movement, the DNC opted to follow the money and choose Chicago to host its event. The DNC could have taken the fight to a battleground state in Georgia and asserted itself as the party of civil rights. However, they chose to be in the friendly confines of deep blue, crime-ridden Chicago. At the end of the day, the DNC will regret its decision. Okay, so these conventions are kind of stuffy, but I think I got the idea that how we can fix the whole conventions. We start doing cosplays, you know. Oh, so like you mix Comic Con? It's a convention, so it's you a do convention. like what? Com- yeah, right, yeah. right. Who would you who would you cosplay at at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago? I'd probably go as as like Taft and get like a fiberglass <laughs> bathtub. And be like, be like stuck in the bathtub and be like naked, like with foam bubbles. Oh, around nice! Me. Now, mm. part and parcel with cosplay, there's always like sexy girls wearing like sexy versions of costumes. So maybe you would get like a uh, like a like a sexy Jimmy Carter or something like. Oh, that. Oh yeah, like a Japanese Japanese anime version of Hamilton. Yeah, nice. there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's, is he a Democrat? I don't. Oh, is Ham- was Hamilton? Oh, semantics, know. semantics. <laughs> was it the same Democratic Party as it is today? Well, actually, there was a flip in the 1840s, and oh, he now they represent the other. He was a Whig. Yeah. That's right. right. In our next story, British and Australian lawmakers call on the U.S. to drop the Assange prosecution. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Independent, The Guardian, Al Jazeera, and DontExtraditeAssange.com. British and Australian lawmakers on Tuesday called on the U.S. to drop its prosecution of imprisoned WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange, marking the four-year anniversary of his imprisonment at Belmarsh Prison. Assange has been held at the British Maximum Security Prison while facing 17 charges of espionage and an additional count of computer misuse, with a maximum sentence of 175 years imprisonment if he's found guilty. The charges relate to WikiLeaks' publication of classified military documents from the U.S. wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, in addition to the publication of U.S. diplomatic cables. In Australia, Assange's home country, 48 MPs and senators, including 13 from the governing Labor Party, signed the letter calling on U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to drop the charges. They said the prosecution sets a dangerous precedent for press freedom and it would be needlessly damaging for the U.S. as a world leader on freedom of expression and the rule of law. In the U.K., 35 parliamentarians called on Garland to drop the charges. Similarly, 
They said Assange's continued prosecution would have a chilling impact on journalism, setting a dangerous precedent for other journalists and media organizations, as well as undermining the U.S. reputation on freedom of expression and the rule of law. Previously, dozens of human rights and press freedom organizations called on the U.S. to drop the charges. Thank you, Eric, for those facts. We'll start this round with a pro-establishment narrative from NPR. Assange must be extradited to the U.S. to face the consequences for the irreparable harm he has caused. For instance, civilians in Afghanistan or Iraq who collaborated with the U.S. military had to go into hiding for fear of reprisal from the Taliban and al-Qaeda. U.S. surveillance tools were also exposed, meaning they became redundant and had to be replaced, forcing taxpayers to foot additional spending. And we have an establishment critical narrative from Pointer.org. Assange's prosecution has been rife with procedural violations, and it criminalizes routine journalistic activity. The First Amendment becomes meaningless if Assange's prosecution continues, especially since he revealed scores of war crimes and abuses of power, which the U.S. government had a duty to investigate rather than cover up. A U.S. mother of a six-year-old who shot his teacher is indicted. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Associated Press, Al Jazeera, CBS, and Guardian. On Monday, Deja Taylor, the mother of a six-year-old boy who shot an elementary school teacher in Newport News, Virginia in January, was indicted by a grand jury on felony child neglect and a firearms charge. The unidentified boy shot Abby Zwerner in her Rich Neck Elementary School classroom with a gun that, according to police, was legally purchased by Taylor. An attorney for Taylor said the weapon had a trigger lock and was stored on the top shelf of a closet. The boy's family described him as having an acute disability, which usually required him to have parental supervision in class. The week of the shooting was his first without such supervision. The school confirmed it received warnings he had a weapon before the shooting but didn't find a gun when searching his belongings. The boy will not be charged. Beyond charges against Taylor, Newport News Commonwealth's attorney Howard Gwynn is seeking a special grand jury to determine if there were security issues at the school that led to the shooting. Zwerner, who spent two weeks in the hospital where she had four surgical procedures, has sued the Newport News School Board, the former superintendent, the former assistant principal, and the principal for $40 million for negligence. These charges come a month after an appeals court in Michigan ruled the parents of a teenager who pleaded guilty to a mass shooting at a high school could face involuntary manslaughter charges. All right, Adam, thank you for the facts on that story. With this round of narrative spins, we'll start with narrative A from Law and Crime. Charging Taylor for this incident is just a small first step towards justice for Zwerner. Charges against the school should also be seriously considered, as everyone involved with this avoidable tragedy should be held accountable. Narrative B is coming from Education Week. This incident shouldn't inspire a search for justice. It should motivate gun owners and politicians to advocate for better gun safety, including tighter regulations on storing guns out of the reach of children. Next up, China tech giant Alibaba is planning a chat GPT rival. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Reuters, CNBC, Al Jazeera, Sky News, and MarketWatch. Chinese technology firm Alibaba on Tuesday announced plans to release its own chat GPT-style artificial intelligence named Tongji Chinwen. 
Alibaba becomes the latest company to reveal its own generative AI chatbot in recent months. The chatbot's name broadly translates to truth from a thousand questions. Its language model will be integrated into DingTalk, Alibaba's workplace messaging app, as well as Tamal Genie, Alibaba's voice assistant. Tangji Chinwen will possess both Chinese and English language capabilities, and the product will be integrated and released in the near future. A timeline was not provided. In a demonstration, Tangji Chinwen drafted invitations, planned travel itineraries, and advised shoppers on makeup. CEO Daniel Zhang, speaking at a live-streamed event, said the technology would bring about big changes to the way people work and live. This unveiling follows a similar release last month by Baidu, another Chinese tech giant. Following the growth of such language models in the state, the Chinese government has published draft rules surrounding how such services should be managed. The draft AI tools should follow core socialist values and protect user data or risk criminal investigations and fines. Following the news, Alibaba's stock rose nearly 2% in Hong Kong trading, but slipped by 0.15% early the same day in New York. Those were the facts, and here the narrative spins. We'll start with a pro-China narrative from China Daily. Companies like Alibaba, Baidu, and NetEase highlight how China is becoming a leader in developing AI technology. These language models will usher speedy growth within the country and become a driving force in the next technological and industrial revolution with China at the forefront. The anti-China narrative coming from Barron's. Although Wall Street is gripped with AI mania, everyone should be cautious about China's venture into this realm. Investors have learned tough lessons from the past PRC regulations on technology, and a state crackdown could easily be imminent. China is promising growth, but that doesn't mean it will happen. And there's a nerd narrative that says there's a 50% chance that at least 275 Chinese institutions of higher education will be approved to offer an artificial intelligence undergraduate program in 2023. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. How are they going to crack down on cheating with AI in the AI undergraduate program at this Chinese institution? That's going to be tough. Oh, I think that's extra credit points if you cheat with AI without getting caught. In our next story, the Biden administration weighs possible rules for AI tools. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Axios, Wall Street Journal, News and Star, and Bloomberg. The U.S. Department of Commerce's National Communications and Information Administration, or NTIA, on Tuesday invited the public to comment on what role the federal government can play to ensure artificial intelligence algorithms are behaving as they are intended and not causing harm. The Biden administration's move comes amid a boom in the use of AI tools that can quickly generate writing, images, and videos designed to mimic human creation. OpenAI's chatbot ChatGPT has reportedly reached 100 million users faster than any consumer app in history. The Commerce Department said it will spend the next 60 days fielding opinions on the possibility of AI audits, with Assistant Commerce Secretary and Administrator of the NTIA, Alan Davidson, saying there is a heightened level of concern now. AI is also being scrutinized in China, with Beijing planning to require a security review of generative AI services before they're allowed to operate. The PRC is demanding providers of services ensure content is accurate, respects intellectual property, doesn't discriminate, and doesn't jeopardize security. 
Tech leaders, including Elon Musk and Google CEO Sundar Pichai, coordinated by the nonprofit Future of Life Institute, have recently called for a six-month moratorium on the development of AI more powerful than GPT-4. They warn that a race between open AI and competitors may be occurring without adequate management or planning for potential risks. All right, Narrative A in this round is provided by The Guardian. This is a responsible move by the administration. We cannot afford to waste time in addressing the challenges posed by artificial intelligence. The development of this technology is unlike anything we've seen before, and incorrectly designed or managed artificial intelligence poses a fundamental risk to human civilization. We need to be proactive rather than reactive when regulating AI. Thank you, Melissa. Reuters has a narrative B on the story. AI is the future, and pausing or otherwise trying to set back its development won't solve any problems. AI offers a revolutionary means to address some of the world's biggest challenges, including inequity and even climate change, and it must be used for this. Rather than trying to rein it in, we simply need to identify the tricky areas of the technology and work harder to improve these. And we have a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. It says that there is a 5% chance that the control problem, i.e. how to create AI that will benefit and avoid inadvertently harming its creators, will be solved before the creation of artificial general intelligence. Whoa. Well, I hope yeah, they I hope they fix mouthful. that problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope I hope it comes becomes more than a five percent chance that they can well, fix that problem. We'll try to bump those numbers up to six or seven percent. Yeah, that, I think Metaculus, the Metaculus needs to get out, get on that. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah Metaculus, do. go fix that AI, that, Metaculus. Yeah, really, they, just, they can do better than that. Yeah, Metaculus, come to a conclusion that we would prefer before that, you bring it to us next time. Thank I, you. Wait, I'm looking this up right now. It says Metaculus is funded by a company called Skynet. Mm, uh, that's fine. They're just okay. an offshoot of Cyberdyne Systems. They're, okay, they're they're, I'm sure they're, yeah, good, good, good. In our final story, Britain names their MI5 deputy as the first female GCHQ boss. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Reuters, Independent, and The National. Anne Keast Butler, the current deputy director of the British spy agency MI5, has been named the next director of GCHQ, becoming the first woman to lead the UK's intelligence, cyber, and security agency. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, who made the appointment, said Keast Butler, who will succeed Jeremy Fleming after his six-year tenure, will use her vast experience to help keep the British public safe. According to the Foreign Office, she grew up in Cambridge, holds a degree in mathematics from Merton College, Oxford, and is married with three children. Before her role as deputy director, she spent two years on secondment to GCHQ as head of counterterrorism and serious organized crime, as well as in Whitehall, where she helped launch the National Cybersecurity Program. Keist Butler, however, isn't the first woman in UK history to lead an intelligence agency. Stella Remington became the first woman to lead MI5 in 1992 and was said to have inspired the character M, head of Britain's foreign intelligence service known as MI6 in the James Bond movies. GCHQ, or Government Communications Headquarters, is primarily based in the town of Cheltenham. During World War II, it was based in Bletchley Park, where it was responsible for breaking Nazi Germany's Enigma codes. 
All right, thanks, Adam. We have Narrative A from Metro. The announcement only adds to the prestigious history of the GCHQ. Keese Butler, who will bring with her years of high-level and successful experience in the intelligence field, is not only prepared to protect Britain's national security, but she will bring a refreshing and diverse vision into a historically male-dominated organization. And Narrative B is provided by Medium. Keist Butler is undoubtedly qualified, and in celebrating her new role, attention should be focused on her accomplishments and skills rather than her immutable characteristics. The problem with the current push for diversity hires is that they often lead to quotas, which can not only hurt the organization hiring the individual, but also leave that person wondering whether they were hired for their talents or their race or gender. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Eric Steiner, Scott Wallace, Melissa Topshire, I'm Adam Clark. Happy anniversary, Improve the News podcast. Thank you for listening. Later, All guys. right, guys. Bye, Thank Melissa. you. Love y'all, man. Happy Y'all take care. Guys. Happy, Happy anniversary. anniversary. We made it.